0: everyone and welcome to the New Visionary Podcast, a podcast for artists who are ready to reach greater heights in their art careers. I'm your host, Victoria J. Fry, founder of Visionary Art Collective and New Visionary Magazine. Join me for inspiring conversations with some of the most inspirational visionaries in today's art world. Let's jump in. Hey everyone and welcome back. We're here today with Penny Lane Shen, an artist advisor based in Vancouver and owner of Dazed in Confucius, a company that provides artists with ways to navigate the fine art industry. Welcome, Penny Lane.
1: So happy to be here. Thanks, Victoria.
0: Oh my gosh, I'm so happy you are here. And I, you know, I mentioned to you before we even started the podcast that when I was thinking about artists, entrepreneurs, artist advisors, you know, so many people came to mind, but you truly were one of the first. And I'm just thrilled to be chatting with you today. And I'm so excited for our listeners to learn more about you as well. So can't wait to dive in. Usually the way I like to start these episodes is by just dialing it way back. I mean, I'm sure there are so many artists listening who are familiar with your company, Dazed and Confucius. I know that I have been following you for at least three years now, if not longer. Um, and and I've seen all the incredible work that you have done, but tell us how it started for you. Like, how did you become an artist advisor? What has your path been and what ultimately led you to where you are right now? Sure. Um, so
1: I think th- my story is a little bit less, I don't know, glamorous than most. It, 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 really, it really came from um, uh, making my way through the various rungs of the gallery industry. So working at one um, gallery and then kind of moving on to the next one that was a little bit more prestigious and up and up and up. And, you know, there was always that uh, next one, always that next institution that was just a little bit better and going, you know, working my way through those. And every time I noticed for years, you know, over over a decade for sure, that there were artists coming in and approaching the gallery or emailing or whatever it may be in the wrong ways. And when I say wrong, I mean, just, just uh, doing things and uh, that, that would nip their chances in the bud before they even had a chance, like before their work was even reviewed. And then after a while, different, different artists sort of, you know, I would, I would say to them like, Oh, you know, maybe, maybe don't do this next time when you go down the street and, 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 and approach the next gallery or, I'd write them back and give them a bit of feedback. and that was relatively, I guess, unexpected or or new for them at the time. Um, and then I had some requests to basically build a a seminar or uh, around around those types of things, how to approach galleries. And uh, even though that's that's just one small part of what we do now, it was kind of how it all started. So I would I was like, okay everybody who's ever interested in this topic, come on down on this day at the gallery. And it was so popular. uh, I didn't realize there was such a demand for it at that time. And I was really just doing it to kind of be a loudspeaker and and get it out of the way for folks. Like, okay, say it once and that's it. But it became quite popular. And then a uh, university here uh, asked me to make it into a course after a few years. So I did that in the evenings after the gallery and then more and more artists asked for what now is a consultation but at that time was sort of a it was still a consultation but just not in a formal way i did that on weekends and i just found that everything peripheral to my time at the galleries were things that i not only enjoyed more but were taking up more time and yeah, I thought to myself, okay, this, this thing that was peripheral could be the main thing. And it took me a while just because at that time, and you have to keep in mind, this was quite a, you know, 2006 to 2013. It was not really a thing. I, at least for me, like, and at least maybe where we are, but it, I um there wasn't art advisory uh, for just artists. Of course, there were artists, art consultants that sold artwork, um, but n- never those that worked on the other side with the artists in that way, in a business way. So to take that kind of leap of faith and build an entire company that just focuses on that, yeah, it was, it was, it was nerve-wracking for me and, and it was new territory. I didn't feel like there were, there was an exact model to build off of. There were many different different kinds of things out there from marketing firms to financial planning to life coaching to all these kinds of things. And it wasn't one of those things. It was really a combo of all those different facets. So, so I felt like there, was a, there wasn't necessarily like um, a skeleton or a model that was already laid out for me that I could follow, um, which took a lot of uh, then trial and error and and still, of course, still I'm I'm working my way through that, and it's been it's been a long time now. Um, so that's yeah, that's it. That's how we got got started.
0: Thank you for sharing that. It, it's actually really cool to hear more about your journey because I knew a little bit, but I didn't I didn't know. I mean, so much of what you just told me is kind of new information. But it sounds like it was a really organic uh, transition for you, you know. And it just started where you had this intention to kind of advise artists based on. Your knowledge and your experience of working at the gallery and now it's turned into you know its own amazing entity so uh, one of the questions I have for you is what advice would you give to artists today who are either seeking gallery representation or just wanting to increase visibility for their work and perhaps they're not quite sure how to go about it or or what the next step would be and I know that's kind of a uh, open question but if you could think of anything that you think would be of value what might that be?
1: just to follow up on what you were saying Victoria about about it happening organically it sure did and it definitely came out of demand more than supply i guess like it was very very much something that people asked for for so long that i finally just almost gave into um and I wanted, of course, and, and, and tried for, but it was definitely something that I think was needed out there. And, and over the last few years, you've probably seen a lot of other companies sprout out of that need as well. So it does seem to be something that, is, is, that different artists are craving. And as for a piece of advice, it's tough, again, to know uh, an individual's experience and where they are in their, in their journey. But I would say that is deeply important to identify Your audience before you decide what the vehicle to reach that audience is going to be. So it might not be galleries, and it may not be self-selling, or it may not be um, through public institutions. It really depends on who that person is and who. And really, it is. And I'd say again, if you're if you're marketing to everyone, you're marketing to no one. So that specificity and defining what your goals are and then who your audience is, is really paramount to the next 10 steps in the journey.
0: Absolutely. I love that, that quote that you just said. I think that's the first time I've ever heard that. But if you're marketing to everyone, you're marketing, marketing to no one, because I agree. I think it is about like just being really, really intentional with your approach and your strategy. And I love what you said about how uh, it's really different for every artist, um, and I've noticed this just as well from working with artists over the past few years where um, I used to think that all artists have the same goals, but actually you realize the more artists you work with that they don't. Their goals might be similar, but they vary. And it really depends on the individual and specifically what they're trying to gain through their art career. So uh, that's really valuable advice. And thank you for sharing that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I I think an artist's goals are as different as the artist's work. And we know how different various artists work is like, so why wouldn't their goals be different? And I think that's sort of maybe the issue I have with some programs and, and, and certainly courses education out there that it is blanketed to a general group, which is important because there's so many things that we can glean generally, but when it comes down to it, art is such an individual thing. Not only the, you as the artist, but the person who's viewing it and receiving it. It's such an individual thing as well. It's hyper specific. And of course, then shouldn't the, the knowledge that's being given to you, shouldn't the advice or the, or the counsel that's been given to you be also as individualized. Right. So I find that, um, you know, we, we do a lot of seminars and workshops. Yes. But when it comes down to it, it's really the consultations where we get at the nitty gritty only because it's, I, I, don't know any other way than to, than to meet each person where they are.
0: Absolutely. And I don't think anything compares to one-on-one, you know, I refer to it as like one-on-one mentorship, but one-on-one consultations, just really one-on-one attention. And I mean, I've hired my own, um, art coaches or mentors or, you know, however you'd like to refer to them over the years. And it has been transformative for me and my business. Like I I honestly don't think I would even be sitting here if I hadn't have invested in those specifically those one-on-one programs. Mm-hmm. Um I've taken so many group workshops and and they serve a purpose as well. Like you were saying, it, you know, they absolutely do, but there's something about having a, a program or working with someone in a one-to-one capacity where all of the advice is customized and tailored to you and your work and your vision. I don't think that can be a replicated, you know?
1: Absolutely. And there are things that are going to be useful no matter what. And those are the general, um, more blanketed types of advice and seminars that I kind of liken it to when people ask like, okay, like, are you going to follow up with me on, on various things we talked about in the consult? And, and that's sort of the difference, I think, between us and, and mentors. They, the answer is no. Um, you come and see us when you're ready again. And I always liken it to a, a dentist Without the scary part. Actually, I don't know, maybe with, who knows. But um, seeing a dentist, like, you know, I can't, I'm not just gonna randomly fix a cavity that isn't there. It's, everybody's mouth is different. But are there things that you can do on your own? Brush and floss and maintain good enamel hygiene on your own? Yes. And we can talk <laughs> about that and we can teach that. But in terms of the individual person's mouth, of course, they, they come for maintenance, but they also come when they, when there's something, uh, they need help with or that something that's wrong. So it really is a case by case basis. And it's also, um, the frequency of that, those case by case things really is, uh, extremely veritable and, and dependent on what you're looking for at that time.
0: Absolutely. And I love the analogy. I just have to say like, <laughs> so true, so accurate. <laughs> But so, okay, this is really helpful to kind of understand your approach and your philosophy and your experience and how it all began. I'm so excited to dive into Dazed and Confucius because as I mentioned, like I've been following you guys on Instagram for, you know, years. And uh, I think I was first introduced to Dazed and Confucius and your work, I believe it was when I was listening to um, a podcast episode on the I Like Your Work podcast uh, years ago. And I was just so fascinated. So I can't wait to dive in and just learn more about it. How did Dazed in Confucius begin and how has it changed and sort of evolved over the years? Sure. So, um, as I mentioned, it, it, be, it began with that demand.
1: Um, not, not so much me being like, Hey, what about, what if this was a business and and then I'll wait for people to come? No, it was really responding to, I can only describe it as like a, a desperate need or craving from the art scene at that time, um, wishing that there was sort of a manual or a guide to how to do this, like post art school, post whatever, not, not, not everybody, of course, went to art school that was um, needing this kind of information. So that's, that's sort of how it began. And then, and then it just grew from there into, into its own entity in terms of, our philosophy and how that's changed. And really it started out with, okay, uh, this is a how-to on your most basic nuts and bolts stuff, which is like how to create an artist statement, how to price your work, how to build a website, what galleries are looking for, yada, yada. And it still is those things. But the way that it has changed quite a lot and the way that I think it is maybe... um, become more of our specialization or become more of um, a unique service that we offer is that we really focus on the work itself. And that's something that I've made a conscious decision to move the business towards and away a little bit more from that, I guess, general guide that we were just talking about, like the general stuff, like this is how you do a release or a launch. And these are the days you should market the work and, but really getting back down to the work itself. And I noticed that because frankly, you can do all those things, but if the work isn't strong enough, then none of it matters. And uh, I've noticed that that was a big part of the problem. And it took a long time to sort of identify and then, and then merge our business towards that to focus on, building a strong identity with strong work. And and when I say strong work, I mean, you know, not just technically, but absolutely technically, conceptually um, as well, and really understanding what you're putting out into the world before you put it out. So a lot of our meetings and our discussions and such are about that, and everybody is so different. So the art is so different. Um, It requires, uh, I think, a lot of problem-solving, and with myself and the other consultant as well, where for me, uh, I have a BFA in fine art and then went on to do a master's in, in not in, in just an MA in visual culture and then worked in those galleries. And so I do find it intensely useful to have both sides of the, the coin. So the ability to understand how, of course, how art is made and, and appreciate that and appreciate everything from materials to process and application. But also, from that artist' side, yes, but also to be able to have seen it from the other side, which is deeply uh, administrative or commercial or even bureaucratic when it comes down to get down to it because of working from public and commercial galleries for so long, and both those sides are at play at any moment, not just not just okay i i I understand how acrylic pores work, you know to their nth degree, but also. Um, I understand what the trends are in the market right now and the professionalism that is required um, if you want to go this path. So I really think that that's how the business has changed, taking into account both sides of those things and really focusing on the the identity of the artist, the quality of the work first and foremost.
0: That's amazing. And like just hearing you speak about it, it's so important. I mean, I think for artists to have a really strong understanding of what it is they're trying to create and why it's important to them and how it might impact the audience. And, you know, just that ongoing process of like continuing to develop their technical skills. And all of that is so important, but I agree, it has to be uh, met with a level of sort of professionalism and how they're presenting their work and how they're putting it out there. So I think the fact that you focus on both is Incredibly valuable, and I also i I knew you had an MA in visual cu- visual culture, uh, but I didn't realize you had a BFA, and that's amazing and so cool. And I can really see how both of those um, just add so much value to the work you're doing because you really can see from both perspectives.
1: Yeah, it was it was a really wonderful program for for me and undergrad to be able to uh, it was a program that allowed me to do a BA BFA at the same time. So I did the BA part in. Um, basically art history but a lot of contemporary culture the the creation of ideas um, the way images make meaning and then there was that other studio side which was at a totally different school actually um, that was pure studio classes in you know photography printmaking design painting etc and then at the end of that having been able to kind of um, taste from both pots right having having both those experiences, I really had to choose which one which one I wanted to pursue. And I went with the, the more academic one and less studio practice one. So I uh, went on to, to get the, the MA instead and then utilize that. And that was really coming from the fact that I really liked writing about, talking about, selling um, art more than I liked making it it, even though I had the tools to make it.
0: I think that's so cool. And like, I I can relate to you a little bit because I also studied art and I am a painter and I, you know, I am still painting and and active in my studio practice. However, like I have this passion for working with artists and I can't give that up either. You know, I'm like, I love this. And, And I think you know, we have so many conversations on this podcast about being multi-passionate or like giving yourself permission to shift your path at any point and embracing something new that you love and want to pursue instead. And I think it's just, this is just part of the human experience. Like we start out when we're younger and we think we might have one career path, and it might shift and evolve. And sometimes we have multiple at once. But I appreciate you sharing your journey. I think it's really cool for our listeners to to learn more about it.
1: Oh, absolutely. You got it. I think that also the the fact that we are just more aware of different professions in general or to create these new professions, there isn't, yeah, growing up, I, there were maybe like four jobs, (laughs) you know, and, and in the world, like in the art world, even less. And that was like teacher, graphic designer, gallery owner, artist, and that was end of list or illustrator. And, and uh, there's just so so many more things now and so many jobs and, and services needed that exist in that lim- liminal space between these highly defined um, positions that are, yeah, that I, I don't think that they can be boiled down to one single thing anymore. You, you are wearing many hats at any time and in a good way.
0: I totally agree because even artists if they're just pers- pursuing their art career full time, they're wearing many hats within that art career. They're marketing their work, they're making their work, they're learning how to speak about their work and write about their work. Like there's we're so multifaceted and most career paths that we choose require you to to wear many hats. So I love that.
1: That's right. I think in a perfect world, yeah, you you have six different people working for you that are each doing one of those things, but uh, we don't have that. So we, we kind of have to do all those things ourselves. And that is tough because at the end of the day, what is it that, that we really want to do? Well, it's make the work, right? So.
0: Absolutely. And, but I think also like there's something to be said for learning. It's like you, when you learn to push yourself outside of your comfort zone, you know, and you kind of like have to be good at marketing and, and selling your work and, um, and talking about it with confidence and writing about it, it's so challenging, but it really does like take you to a greater level, you know, personally and professionally, <laughs> like you learn and grow so much from that.
1: Absolutely. You are seeing it from outside of yourself, right? You are in, you're literally when you're writing about the work or speaking in third person about your work. So you have to be removed from it in a way and, and look at it from hopefully the way everyone else is looking at it. And, and if not, and if that's not clear, figuring out why. Um, so yes, indeed, it's it's uh, growing pains that come out of it, but ultimately, ultimately, I think highly rewarding.
0: Absolutely. Well, and, okay, so speaking of rewarding, one of the questions I had for you uh, was, how has your work with Dazed and Confucius and just all of this amazing, um, incredibly important work you, that you've done with artists over the last, you know, decade or longer how has it impacted you on a personal level? Um, have you noticed a shift within yourself?
1: First of all, I feel tremendously, like overwhelmingly grateful that this is even something that people give me money to do, <laughs> okay? Like it's, it's incredible, I think. And I, I'm, I'm so honored and grateful that that is, that is a thing. And I, I hope and I think... Um, that shows in, in my level of dedication to each person every time I come to meet with them. Um, I, we at Days and Confucius want to give everyone our full selves. And um, that training, I guess, or the, the, the muscle that is being built and exercised um, within me over the last, yes, decade of doing it, um, I feel extremely privileged. So... One, and that has made me, of course, interact with the world and and people differently, and and to be sensitive, of course, to to meeting people where they are, but also being critical. And if I'm anything, it's, it's it's critical. And certainly, we at the company really do focus on, as I said before, like development of conceptual technical skills. So we want the work to be to be where exactly the best it can be before you start. Schlepping it out there, right? So, in terms of how it's it's changed me, one, I feel very lucky in the sense that when when folks ask, okay, like what's popular in the world right now, what are the trends? And yes, I we spend a lot of time doing research in that and going to shows and seeing things, so on and so forth. But really, like I don't have to try that hard anymore because of just the sheer number of people we see and um, the regularity in which we see them, it just naturally happens. I feel like I'm I'm informed about what's going on in the art world and not even in just the art world, I feel like I'm informed about what's going on in the world because of my clients and because of the consults. Um, And hopefully people are making things that are important to them. And um, they're trying to get a message across about something that they care about. And then bonus, I get to find out about those things and care about them as well. So yeah, it's great. Like I, it's the podcast stuff you should know, for example. Do you know that podcast? Yeah.
0: I love that podcast. It was one of the first, I think it was actually the first podcast I ever started listening to. Same.
1: Yeah, same. It's, <laughs> it's been around for so long and how stuff yeah. works. And I, <laughs> I always feel like those guys are very, you know, um, similar in that way where your job is that people learn about stuff and then they tell you about those things and then you tell other people. <laughs> and how, how fantastic that bonus you get to absorb that information. So I feel the same, same way except a little bit more of course into the into the art world.
0: I love that. I mean that's so beautiful. I always love to ask these questions because I think sometimes it's easy to forget like how changed we actually are by the work that we're doing because we're so in the sort of routine and daily grind of of doing it and sometimes we pause and we're like, "Oh my gosh, I'm not the same person I was 2 years ago or 5 years ago or a decade ago." So it's beautiful to hear how it's impacted you personally over time.
1: Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. It's been, yeah, paramount to, to my, my own personal journey. But for sure, there's also ups and downs as always. Like, it, like anything, there's um, roadblocks and, and trials and tribulations uh, within, within that. The problem solving is fantastic. It's also hard. It's it is. exhausting truly. And, uh, it's easy to get, I feel like it's easy to get burnt out. And I certainly know this from, from, um, other consultants at the business and outside. Right. So yeah, when you want to give somebody your best self, the tank can't always be full, but you know, you, I, I at least want it to be full all the time. So yeah, it's
0: tough. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I actually love talking about this. I think it's really an important topic and it's something that we've started to discuss more on the podcast, you know, not just the beautiful parts of the work that we're doing and the powerful and impactful parts, but how challenging it can be sometimes, whether you're an artist or whether you're an entrepreneur or whatever it might be, you know, it can be really hard sometimes. And I have certainly faced moments over the last almost three years ago was when we launched VAC where I have felt extremely fatigued and overwhelmed or uh, burnt out for sure. So, how do you navigate some of those challenges? I don't know. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> no, and that's okay, let me think. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess, you know, right around the sort of five year mark, this is a while ago now, again, I felt that way and I squished it down and, you know, kind of pushed it away because. How dare I feel this way when i'm sh- should be counting my lucky stars that again people even give me money to do this at all, so I was Im- ashamed I think of feeling burnt out or or fatigued by uh, by my job and of course saying it out loud sounds sounds silly, but I just really didn't let myself think those thoughts or or say them out loud but yeah, I've, I found that I was starting to come in day to day with a little bit of that weariness, not dread, but that I used to feel, you know, when, when I worked, of course, different different jobs and positions. But that weariness that comes along with, I think, doing anything every single day for five years. And I just feel like that, was, that happened to be a lot, like just coincidentally aligned with that five-year mark. So I will say one thing is that I don't, I don't stifle that feeling anymore. Just saying, you know, naming it, taming it, right? And talking about it, like you said, on the podcast, that's something that you've been doing with other guests more and more. That has helped. Another thing that happened was that the pandemic sort of happened right after that. And so for me, in my mind, I was like, okay, well, don't change anything. Try to maintain the status quo for the next, at that time, we thought would be, a few months and then of course it became a year then it became a couple years and you know now it's three years right just sort of maintaining that st- status quo and, and feeling like we're trying to tread water but that is not the case and recognizing that no we're not needing to survive we're, we're trying to thrive here and we are kind of and so not feeling that um what you what you call it like a, a scarcity mentality right and just feeling that the abundance and and celebrating that a bit more Another thing that I try to do is really just uh, kind of set boundaries for myself and for my clients. And even though the thing that we're talking about is personal, because like, as I said before, the best, I think the best artwork is. So most of the time when we see clients, we are talking about very intimate and personal things. And not always, of course, but we build a relationship and that can blur boundaries. I think, between between myself as the advisor and, and them as the client. When they're blurred, I feel like I owe it to clients to be there when they direct message or text me or things like that. When really, I that's not something that I'd prefer not to have that, I guess, to put it out there. But because we have that close relationship, um, it's kind of morphed into less of a, business relationship and much more of like a friend relationship, which is lovely. And I love the artists that we work with and indeed they are friends, but yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, I just feel like I owe, owe them I more yeah. because of that. Yeah. And so because of those blurred boundaries, anyway, all that is to say, I'm still working on it. It's hard for me. I I feel like I have to give um, them everything and I want to, I shouldn't say I have to, but I I want to, and that can be um that can be detrimental or, or draining on on just my own self so
0: absolutely no thank thank you for your honesty and thank you for sharing that and uh, i i I can first of all relate to you on so many levels uh but also I think a couple of things like you know but I think both things can be true like you can be really, really grateful for what you're experiencing while also feeling tired and burnt out and fatigued and neither one like negates the other. It just, they can exist at the same time. And that's something I'm really embracing as well. But also like um, what you were saying about boundaries, uh, it's so important. And I think the the question becomes like, how do I show up and give my best self while still keeping a little bit back for me so that it's sustainable and that I can keep going and I'm not gonna burn out within the next, you know, X amount of years. And that's the question that <laughs> we're working on all the time. You got so, it. You got it. If you find out, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep you posted. Yeah. But boundaries are so, so important. I think really for anyone in life, but especially like when I have these conversations with uh, um, artists and entrepreneurs and business owners, because what I have found as well, and I'm wondering if this is something you have experienced. I'm I have a feeling it probably is, but when you love what you do so much, it can be even harder to draw a boundary because it doesn't feel like work sometimes. And so you have to actually remind yourself and that it is a job and yes, you're giving it your all. And I could relate so much to what you were saying about the relationships with artists becoming quite personal. Um, absolutely. It's it's challenging for that not to happen because artwork is so personal. So I think it's a really natural thing that happens. Uh, But boundaries are so important. I think it's like being so clear on what they are and not compromising with yourself once you set them. Anytime I catch myself compromising, I'm really trying to make an active effort now to pause and say like, no, 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 you said you weren't going to check, check your email after five o'clock and it's seven and you're checking your email. So, you know, it's just like not negotiating, not compromising and really just taking those boundaries seriously. Absolutely. So
1: and I think that's so much of the uh, gray area. The reason why we we don't have that same model, I think, uh, as entrepreneurs and especially entrepreneurs in the art world is because the art, like artists and art in general already exists in that weird zone of um, nonconformity and unconvention, um, yes. which it, where it doesn't follow, let's say that nine to five punch in, punch out model for for artists and for people like myself who are um in the industry so we already lack that tradition and um so that and that affects everything that affects how art is valued um that affects how time is valued when it comes to making artwork so like there's already a problem with the uh, with the system with the model that of course boundaries uh, are just one of those things that that uh gets rolled into how messy these things become, right? And how unclear they are, um, not just for the artists, but for people like us on this side.
0: It's so true. And I just, again, like I really appreciate you being so honest and open about it because i think the more we can talk about these things and have these conversations the more we can understand like we're not alone in this you know we all have our challenges and you can have the most amazing business in the world and feel so lucky and, and so deeply grateful and still have days that are really really hard um and and i think the more we can share strategy well the more we can talk about it then the less alone we feel so that's half of it <laughs> but the more we can share strategies for how we kind of handle it uh, in those tough moments, you know, that's also really helpful. So
1: definitely. Yeah.
0: So, okay. One of the, uh, last questions that I have for you, even though I truly feel like we could just continue the conversation for hours because you're such a joy to chat with. Um, what are you working on right now? Do you have any big things coming up or projects that you're excited about this year?
1: Right. Uh, great question. Well, we're making some changes this year and you know, like, I guess they're probably not even big changes, but to me, they're big changes because I mentioned that I've been in that kind of treading water mentality over the last three years because of pandemic, even though in no way did the pandemic affect our business. Um, I just, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's silly to say. And uh, I've only kind of recently snapped, snapped out of it a bit and, and, and thought about, okay, um, in the last three years, I felt there, there couldn't have, we couldn't do big changes or rock the boat because the boat is so is on such unsteady waters right now because of the pandemic. But in in fact, that wasn't the case at all. Having said that, this year we are making some some changes in the sense that I will be doing uh, less less consults on a daily basis and introducing some office hours, sort of like, um, almost like doctor's hours. I would never compare myself to a doctor, but, uh, <laughs> some office hours, let's go back to that one. Um, once, once a week where people can just drop in and ask their questions. Um, and it's really for folks that just really have really need something fast and they don't want to wait like the four months to see me or whatever it may be. They also just don't need to have the full blown hour or half an hour. They just have, um, some quick things that they need to 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 chat about or get done, and that is actually part of the setting boundaries things that uh, that we're trying to implement, and um, that's just a bonus, I think. And so instead of sort of, you know, I know that my, our clients feel guilty when they shoot me an email or a text message and say like, "Oh, can I just really get a quick, you know, I'm really sorry, like, feel free to charge me," which I would never just, I just don't do, and would never do. And I want to help them. I want to answer their questions. And I know that they feel badly. So this is sort of a new, I hope, outlet for anybody who's been with us for a long time and needs a quick answer, but also new folks that just want to see what it's all about. So hoping that that's that's going to happen in the fall and um, also hoping to run a couple of our seminars. So we have quite a lot of seminars and we do them quite often, but never hosted by us. It's always been uh, hosted by an organization. And that's just something, again, I felt I didn't have the space to run it ourselves. I have the knowledge. I, we have the content. We have the presentation. Let me just show up and do it. Um, but I've just found that, again, there's that demand for it. And so folks are like, oh, when is this next one coming around? Like when, when will Outbox run again? When, when will how it sounds run again? And I'm like, I don't know. I have no idea when it will run again. Whenever somebody decides to program it, uh, we'll let you know. And yeah, somebody always programs it sometime, but oftentimes they're private as in they're for their group only. Um, sometimes so many of them, they're in person. So I travel for those things, but then they're not online. So really thinking about running some of those seminars ourselves and um, having the space and time to be able to actually properly, yes, market it, but even have the administrative setup to take registrants and, and run it, and so on and so forth. But there just hasn't been enough space.
0: But that's, that's great. I mean, I think that's going to bring uh, so much to, to have that like consistency as well, and to and like a little bit more control over it, I guess. Yes,
1: for sure, and I like them. They're one of my favorite things to do. The seminars It's just uh, they are they're so dependent on somebody else, right? Somebody else's schedule, because I've been so yeah, uh, I just haven't had the time to to run it ourselves. That's that's really it because I'm doing consults
0: totally and but i think it's so smart to constantly be like evaluating and reevaluating your business and to think about like okay well what was i not prepared to do <laughs> several years ago or last year that now i'm realizing would actually be of benefit i feel like i'm i've really started to lean into that mindset lately and sometimes i don't know if you experience this too the things that i was resistant about when i really go back and i'm like why was i so resistant <laughs> then i realize okay there wasn't strong enough of a reason for me to not do this thing 100% and
1: I I remember the reason why I never wanted to run the seminars ourselves is because I didn't want to like set up an event, bright. I didn't want to like fill butts and seats or something like that. And that was over 10 years ago when I just didn't want to do that. And I just haven't thought about it since because I I closed that door in my mind. It was like nope, yeah. Penny Lane doesn't want to set up the Eventbrite or something like that, <laughs> something absurd. Um, and yes, now we're at a place where, like, yes, one, one, I wouldn't be setting up the Eventbrite; somebody else would be doing that. And two, I am not
0: like big deal. It doesn't; it's not a big deal anymore, right? It's so true, and everything just like continues to shift and evolve. And I think the most important thing, which it sounds like you clearly do. And this is so integrated into your practice. It's just to constantly be like evaluating ourselves as objectively as we can. And to really think about like, what do I have the capacity for? And what do I not have? I know this goes back to us talking about setting boundaries. It's like, what can I do in a sustainable way? And what is just out of the question? And sometimes that shifts from year to year, you know, that's always changing as well.
1: A hundred percent. I find that the thing, when you grow, the things that worked for you, of course, work against you. Right, it's not that they just stop working; they actually work against you, and that's something. Um, it's taking me a while to to embrace and figure out, and my reluctancy or fear around th- around that is something I've had to uh, face a little bit more head on. I've always likened it to thinking about like your family growing if you if you live in an apartment by yourself and you love it and it's beautiful and you've decorated it and got the right furniture for it and everything, but then maybe you get maybe you have a partner and you get married and then there's two of you. So now it's too small. So it works against you almost, even though everything was perfect at one point. And then you have maybe kids and then it's really working against you. But the thing that you do, yeah, it's not like it's just neutral. It's actually hindering you. And so the thing that you have to do is actually move apartments. You just can't expand. Well, I think most people can't just bash down a, a wall and then creep into the apartment next door, you have to start again. And that is such a tremendous amount of work to, to break down and build up again, something that worked so well for you and was so deeply tied to your identity at one point. And that, that is the business and that is growth. So every time, I feel like every time we figure something out and it works well for us, growth makes it work against you at, at some point, which is ultimately a, a good thing, of course, you want to grow. Um, it just involves a tear down, and that tear down can be so um, it can really rock rock you and uh, it's something i've certainly felt resistance to and, and fear around for a long time
0: oh, absolutely, and it, it actually makes me think of um adaptability and flexibility and like just how adaptable and flexible we need to be because it helps that transition to go a little bit smoother when we're not resisting as much and we can just kind of allow ourselves to like like I'm always trying to remind myself to be flexible I find myself sometimes like you know once in a blue moon like I'll shoot down a really good idea this just happened to me recently (laughs) and then like a month later I'm like Wait, that that was the right thing. Why did I shoot that down? Like that actually is what we need to do. That's that you know I have to be flexible. It's a huge. It's like it's exactly what you were describing. It's a huge start over, and it's a it's a tear down in a way for sure. But it's like I have to uh, just be more flexible, as flexible as I can, and as adaptable as I can, and and bring this new idea to fruition because I know it's ultimately going to be for the best. But it's it's hard sometimes for sure.
1: How did you, and, you know, how did you navigate that, Tori? Like, how do you instill flexibility into your, into your mind and practice?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. And you know what it is for me is anytime I have a strong reaction to something, I try to unpack it. Like, why did I have such a knee-jerk reaction of saying no right off the bat? And usually it's, in this situation, it's because I knew it was going to be a huge huge thing and I think I was just afraid it usually comes down to fear (laughs) any resistance is usually fear based so it was like sitting with it for a month and I just found my mind like continuing to go back to that idea and back to that idea and it was like it really did take me probably more than a month to get to the point where I was like that I was resisting it because I knew how much work would be involved. But I know to my core this is the right thing. This is the right direction. I actually went back to the person that suggested it, and I was like, "Can we get on a call? I, this is going to be a lot of work, but you were one hundred percent right. And I, I really feel this. Like in my, in my gut, I feel it intuitively that this is the next step. And, um, and yeah, it's, so it's a lot of like paying attention to your own the way you respond to things, like noticing when you are acting out of fear versus acting out of trust. And like, that's what I'm trying to lean into more right now. And like my personal and professional life is just making more decisions from a place of trust and less from a place of fear. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not easy, no. <laughs> but it's like, I think you just have to be as self-aware as possible <laughs> because the more aware you are, I think the more you can really start to understand not just the decisions you make, but actually what they're rooted in and why you're making them. And, for sure, for
1: sure. You know. and, un- and as you said, even unpacking why you're so resistant to those things. And for me, it's always like a matter of a combo between time um,
0: yes. and
1: money and energy, yep. which is all really related again to time, I, I-, I think as well. Yeah. And, um, and really that dictates how, how risk adverse one is, right? Because it is risk. For me, um, I, I find that I, I lean more towards the conservative side of risk because the industry that we're in is already so risky. That's just how I feel. Like it's, I'm overcompensating for my industry. I need to sort of ca- make sure that I'm, I'm recognizing that at any time.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, it's always anytime a risk is involved, it's always important to like evaluate, you know, the risk and the reward and like, is it worth it? And and how much risk is involved for sure. But I think sometimes you just have these moments of like it's like an intuitive feeling where you're like, I I know this is a risk, but I know I just have to do it because the the alternative of not doing it and then wondering what could have been or how it would have helped me or how it would have helped my business or how it would have helped the you know artists I'm serving. That not knowing is actually worse. Absolutely, (laughs) yeah. And just going for it, and then if it doesn't work out, at least you can say that's right. And I, you know, and you
1: know, I have yet to meet anybody who who does something and then says, "Oh, I wish I," you know. They always say, "I wish I would have just started sooner," including myself, right? So that's yeah. I have yet to meet somebody who's like, "Oh, you know, I wish I would have waited." and drag this out longer. No, it's, it's usually <laughs> the other way. I mean, not always, but of course, there are very few regrets when, when people actually take the leap.
0: A hundred percent. And just to remind ourselves too, like anytime I catch myself saying, oh, why didn't I start this sooner? Even with my company, I think, why didn't I start this five years ago or seven years ago, or, you know, when I graduated 11 years ago, and then I remind myself, I wasn't ready then. You know, I just I wasn't ready then, and you know when you're ready for something. Um, and sometimes you do have to push yourself before you're ready a hundred percent. But sometimes when we have those moments when we look back and we and we wish that we did start something sooner, we also have to remind ourselves that a lot of the time it wasn't it wasn't the right time or we weren't in the right place to start that big project. Definitely,
1: and that is just a classic, I think, Zen way of thinking that uh, <laughs> that everything happens for a reason, everything's exactly you're. Supposed to be exactly where you are at that moment is. Um, it takes a level of yeah. of uh, Zen mastery and and grace that um, I you know I really try to practice and, and struggle with every day.
0: I'm working on it too. Trust me. It's you know they say like it's a practice for a reason. <laughs>
1: you got it. Yeah,
0: 100. percent But. Uh well Penny Lane I, you are such a joy to talk to and it's been so amazing today to just learn more about you and your journey so much that I didn't know actually so I want to thank you so much for coming on today it's been an absolute pleasure
1: Oh it was the pleasure was really all mine thank you so much for having me it was lovely to chat
0: Thank you and where can our amazing listeners learn more about you and the incredible work that you're doing
1: Sure they can find us on our website at dazedandconfucius.com or on our Instagram at dazed.and.confucius.
0: Perfect. I will include that in the show notes. And thank you again, Penny Lane. And thank you for everyone uh, for tuning in today. Thank you for tuning in and supporting our platform. To learn more about New Visionary Magazine, head over to visionaryartcollective.com magazine. You can order individual copies on Amazon or subscribe annually to Digital Issues. We also have opportunities to get featured in the magazine, so be sure to join our newsletter and follow us on Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave a review on iTunes or tag us on Instagram. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.